Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. And uh, again, welcome to uh, Worship at Grace. Whether you're joining us from Half Moon or Latham or Saratoga, we're delighted you're here, as well as all of you who are joining us online. I wanna begin today with a passage of scripture from Matthew's Gospel, chapter two. I invite you to find that now uh, in your Bible, Matthew two. And I'm gonna start right now in verse one. We read there, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Well, if you've been with us in December, you know we're in a series right now called We've Never Needed Christmas More than now. And today, I want to talk with you about these mysterious magi. We sometimes call them wise men, and I'm going to use those two words or phrases interchangeably, magi and wise men. We're talking about the same people. They came from the east. And I want to talk to you about God's guidance in their lives. Now, you may think, well, that's just going to be like a history lesson, right? Well, we'll learn a little bit about them, but more importantly, we're going to talk a whole lot about how God guides us today, and I know that's going to be very personal for so many of you. Now, to do a little background on the wise men, frankly, if we're just being honest, we don't know a ton about them. In fact, much of what we think we know may not actually be justified biblically. For instance, most people think there were three wise men, probably based on the three gifts they they gave, but there were probably many of them. Probably a whole caravan came from the east, traveling, uh, guided by this star, traveling to see this new king, this new messiah. Also, some people believe they were kings. We get that probably from the song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. It's a fine song and everything, but again, there's no justification in the text to say that they were kings. So what do we know about them? Here's what we know for sure. The Magi were these highly educated people by the standards of their day, and here's what they did. They looked and studied the stars and the planetary bodies. And they weren't just like astronomers, though. They wondered how the movements in the heavens, they wondered what impact that might have on the lives of people on earth. But here's the question in my mind. How did they make the connection from what they were seeing out there to this whole birth of Messiah. Well, again, what I'm gonna say right now, it's gonna get a little dense, just to warn you, but but stick with me. We'll be back to planet Earth in just a moment. Uh, What it gets, it's kind of speculative, but here's, here's some of the pieces I believe they probably put together. First of all, we need to go back about 600 years to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel, this great man of God, 
He was put in charge, according to Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, he was put in charge of all of the wise men, all of the magi of Babylon. Isn't that very interesting? So I can imagine that Daniel, being the leader he was, he probably taught these people a number of things about the word of God. So they had some knowledge of the Old Testament. Furthermore, there is a prediction in Daniel chapter 9 that's unique. Here's what I mean by that. There are lots of predictions of Messiah coming in the Old Testament, tons of them, dozens of them, okay? But, but, there's really only one that I'm aware of that makes any reference to the timing of his coming, and that's in Daniel 9, where it says there that about 483 years after a certain decree was issued, Messiah would come. 483 years, rather, after the issue was decreed to go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, okay? So, King Xerxes, if you want to research this, he's the one who gave the green light, the thumbs up, for Ezra to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and start teaching the people the word of God. There's also a rather obscure prophecy found in the book of Numbers. Here it is on the screens. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. And catch this line, a star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Now, I know that's rather obscure, and some people might just scoff at that, but a lot of Bible teachers believe that is actually a reference to the guiding star that would lead the wise men to the Christ child. So here's the deal. They're studying the skies. They're putting together these various prophecies, okay? And they piece it all together. And finally, I think God gave them this supernatural star, this supernatural guiding light, and they said, now is the time, and so they start their journey looking for him. And again, my whole premise today is that we can learn a lot from them about how God guides. Now, let me get real personal for a moment. Are you searching for God's will? You know, all of us face a crossroads moment in our lives where we usually are crying out, God, what do you want me to do? Some of you just this week said, should we sell this house and buy that one? Some of you probably had the discussion, should we adopt a child perhaps from another country, another culture? Some of you are wondering, should I launch out and start a new educational program, get a new degree? Some of you are wondering, should we begin a new business in a sort of time like this? where things are volatile in our culture. Some of you are wondering, what about that new relationship, that person that I'm interested in? Should I pursue that? You see what I mean? We go on and on. We all come to these crossroads moments where we cry out and want to know God's will. Don't you wish it were as simple as your GPS system? <laughs> I've sometimes wondered, wow, 
What if God's guidance was as simple as just putting a location into my smartphone or my GPS in the car? Wouldn't that be cool? I don't know what yours sounds like, but I have this feminine voice in mind, and it is so easy to find places these days, right, with a GPS. We Years ago, some of you remember when we didn't have anything like that, right? And so you had to write down instructions and hope they were correct. But now, oh, now, simple. And this feminine voice says, go on this road for four miles. Think, wow, that's cool. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to fret. I know I'm on the right road. And as you get closer, she says, in a thousand yards, turn right onto Maple Road. Wow, that just gives me all this security and peace and calmness. And then when you get there to Maple Road, she says, turn right. Wow, have you ever wondered, what if God's guidance were that crystal clear? Well, if you've ever tried to follow God's guidance, you know that it's usually more nuanced than that. In fact, if you're anything like me, Sometimes in my Christian journey, just being honest here, I've wondered if I'm even on the right road at times, okay? And sometimes in my experience, I've been going so fast, I've been running so fast and furious, so busy, God would probably have to shout to me through a megaphone just to get my attention. But I hope we can all agree on this, knowing And doing the will of God is incredibly important. And so let's dive in now with both feet, and let's use their experience as a sort of analogy or metaphor, if you will, for how God guides us. Now, buckle your seatbelt, because there's a number of twists and turns in their journey, and there probably will be in ours as well, but it was well worth it and ours is worth it too. I think one of the big lessons we can learn from these wise men is that God's will is often not crystal clear. Now, if you're a new believer or maybe new to the Bible, that may shock you. I, I, I seem to notice that a lot of people are kind of new in the faith, just assume that, well, obviously, God is going to guide us in crystal clear ways. And certainly, some things in his word are crystal clear. But when it comes to some of our personal life choices that maybe aren't addressed with a chapter and verse in the Bible, it can be a bit veiled in mystery at times. Now, in getting ready for this today, I read Matthew 2 over and over and over again, and just trying to make sure that I was getting this straight. And I don't know if you would get the same answers I did, but it seems to me that sometimes for the wise men, the star was like crystal clear, and they just rejoiced when they saw the star. It was like burning brightly, easy to follow. At other times, I'm not sure if you would get the same interpretation, but I get the idea that there are times when the star is not so bright. It's like dimmed a little bit, and I also get the idea that sometimes the star just disappeared altogether, and they were groping around in darkness, and I think the same thing is true in our lives. 
So let me ask you, I'm just kind of curious. Boy, I wish we could sit down over coffee and have this discussion. When the star, again, we're just using it metaphorically here, when the star of God's guidance in your life is a little bit dim, what do you do? Where do you turn? How do you respond to that? You know, I've, I've had the privilege for a number of decades now to kind of have a front row seat into people's lives. And, and I want to tell you three ways that I know a lot of people respond whenever God's will is not crystal clear. One is they start relying on pious platitudes, okay? Do you know what pious platitudes are? Well, let me give you a few examples. Here's a pious platitude. Love God and do as you please. Love God and do as you please. Well, I know a great theologian said that centuries ago, but we better be careful about that one. I think the theologian had a point he was trying to make, but, but be careful about love God and do as you please, okay? Because what we please may not be at all in God's will, okay? Somebody else said, no, 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 God's will, you gotta seek it with fasting and prayer. So here's what you got to do. You got to get yourself some candles. You got to get a kneeling altar in your house. And you need to shut yourself up in that prayer chamber and don't eat or drink until God shows you his will. Good luck with that. You may be starving, brother, if you follow that. Another one says, here's a pious platitude. Just follow your desires. God said in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Just follow your desires. Somebody else will say, oh, no, 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 no. Just do the opposite of what you desire, and you'll be a little more likely to find God's will. Somebody else comes along and says, put out a fleece. Gideon put out a fleece. So if you want to know God's will, just put out a fleece. And somebody else says, no, don't you know that was a sign of unbelief. So whatever you do, don't use fleeces. Can you see why this gets a little maddening? Pious platitudes. Hear me loud and clear. You cannot reduce God's will to sound bites, no matter how spiritual they may seem. I wish it were as simple as a little recipe that had come out of America's test kitchen and you could just put this ingredient and that one and that one in the right order and blend them all together and apply the right heat and boom, you're gonna get a perfect product every time. That's not been my experience. Here's what I see in scripture. God invites us on a great adventure. That's what following him is and that's gonna involve some unpredictable turns in the road. So the Bible tells us in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways, acknowledge him. <clears throat> he will make your path straight. You see the important part of that? Trust in the Lord. Get to know your guide well, the living God. Don't put your trust in platitudes. I'll say it again. Don't try to reduce God's will to sound bites even if they sound awfully holy. But the second thing I see when God's will is a bit fuzzy, I see even Christians, yes, even Christians relying on fickle feelings. Fickle feelings. In his book, Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard has a great line. Here's what he says. 
Feelings make excellent servants, but terrible masters. This is a good line. Feelings make excellent servants, but terrible masters. And yet, so many people rely on their feelings, don't they? We're all prone to do that. Here's the problem with that. Feelings are just so doggone unreliable. I mean, they change according to hormonal patterns. They change according to your environment that you're, they change according to the people that are around you, whether they're positive or negative or encouraging or not. They change according to your diet. They even change according to the amount of sleep you got last night. They are notoriously unreliable. And here's what I believe. Feelings are so unreliable. You may have trouble believing this, but I believe <laughs> you can actually be running 100 miles in the wrong direction and not even be bothered by it because you think you're doing the right thing on the right road. Now, I am sure there were days <laughs> when these magi didn't feel all warm and gooey inside. I'm sure they had moments where they thought, are we idiots here? Maybe we should turn back and give up on this. But in spite of their feelings, they kept following God's guidance through the star. But let me mention quickly one other third way that I see a lot of people leaning when God's guidance is not crystal clear. They kind of give in to paralyzing phobias. Let me explain what I mean by that. I see this an awful lot. Here's the deal. They're afraid of making the wrong move, so they make no move at all. You ever seen this? Have you ever done this? They're so paralyzed with fear, with this phobia of, I just, I can't make a bad move here because I can never recover from that, that they just get stuck and they refuse to move at all. There's a little cliche that I've used for years about God's guidance. It's not original with me. I don't know who first said it. I wish we did, but I like it. It's easy to steer a moving vehicle. It's easy to steer a moving vehicle. And I'm of the belief that it's better to keep walking in a wholesome direction, even when you're not sure of God's perfect will for you, that you keep doing what you know to do. You keep putting one foot in front of the other and doing things that you do know to do, and God can easily steer a moving vehicle that is your life. I believe the main biblical metaphor for guidance, I think John Bunyan got it right in Pilgrim's Progress, it's like this long journey to the celestial city. You're going to face ups and downs. You're going to face turmoils and trials and dangers and difficulties along the way. But you keep looking to your guide because he's given you some amazing promises. Think of this one from Isaiah 58. The Lord will guide you always. I think that's his heart. He wants to guide us. Or this one from Isaiah. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, that's not a political statement, by the way. Your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And there's so many passages where God is promising us guidance, 
if we walk in step with the Spirit. It's so important that we don't get paralyzed and stuck when God's will is not crystal clear. I, I, I think the wise men are impressive. No doubt they had fears, but they didn't let those paralyze them. They kept on moving and fo following what they knew, even though it wasn't always crystal clear. But if you're still with me here, I want to give you a second big lesson, a big one that I believe we can learn from their experience. That is that God's will is often quite challenging. It's often quite challenging. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Now, if you want to do your own research, I thought it might get a little too tedious to show you this, but their journey was pretty incredible. I mean, it was probably about a thousand miles that these guys journeyed, probably partially on foot, probably on camels part of the way. They had, they had to cross rugged mountains, craggy rocks. They had this harsh Syrian desert in front of them that they had to go across where there's very little water. And there's all kinds of places for bandits to hide out who would love to rob any unsuspecting caravan. I mean, it was tough. Here, here, here's my point in bringing that up. You, you're going to make the journey they made. You got to have an all-out commitment to see this thing through because it is treacherous. I'm about to shock some of you right now, so just, just try to breathe a little bit. Following God can be pretty treacherous. I think we make a huge mistake in our evangelism, in our discipleship efforts, if we give people the idea that following Jesus is just this easy life. It's like breezing into heaven. I just don't think that's the reality. <laughs> About this time of year, you start seeing a proliferation of commercials for various dieting products, right? And supplements and pills and things. Because the new year's coming. And everybody wants to turn over a new leaf and lose a little weight. And, and, and here, here's how a typical one works. You, you've already seen them, tons of them, but there's gonna be more, trust me, in the coming days as we wind down toward the new year, all right? You see a guy here and they say he lost 127 pounds in 10 weeks. And then you see the before and after pictures. They're so impressive. I mean, before, he kind of looks like a couch potato. He looks like a slug. He's got a big old gut on him, you know. And then you look at the after picture. Wow. Chiseled physique, perfect six-pack abs. And they say, this little pill, this little pill right here did it. And you see that commercial, and you go look at yourself in the mirror. You go, wow. If that pill did that for him, wow, I wonder if it could do the same for me. Now, what they usually include in the commercial is this was used along with a healthy diet and exercise program, okay? But still, 127 pounds in 10 weeks, I mean, 
Come on, that is just incredible. But here's what they don't tell you now. Are you ready for what they don't tell you? They don't tell you that the guy who lost that weight in 10 weeks did 500 push-ups every day and 1,000 sit-ups and he spent three hours a day on a treadmill. They don't tell you that. What they don't tell you is that he ate raw kale until it was coming out of his ears. They don't tell you that. I knew a guy in seminary who lost 200 pounds. I asked him, what did you eat? He was a fellow classmate of mine in seminary. Real story, folks. He said, lima beans. Until it was coming out of my ears. Lima beans. I thought that is the strangest diet I've ever heard in my life. But hey, worked for him, I guess. But they don't tell you that. They don't tell you that there are side effects to this little pill. That you may have memory loss. It will grow excess body hair on your bod, okay? Don't tell you that. They don't tell you that you, you know, you, you may have these growing sensations of a phantom third arm and may get flatulence so that you run your friends out of the room. They don't tell you any of these things. None of that's mentioned. Here's the idea. Take this pill. It'll all be magical. Now, here's my concern. My concern is that sometimes in our evangelism, even in our discipleship efforts, it's almost like we present Jesus as a magic pill. We just invite people to follow Jesus, but we ought to give them the warning label, shouldn't we? Hey, if you invite Jesus into your life, if you take the Jesus pill, it may lead to some marital stress if your spouse is not a believer. Hey, if you do this, it may lead to a loss of status in your company because people will think you're nuts. Some people will. If you take the Jesus pill, listen, you need to be ready for some awkward conversations because they're gonna come. If you take the Jesus pill, you may have some sleepless nights over your sorrow for your unbelieving friends and family. We need to give them the warning label. So I'm just saying it to you now. I want everybody to hear this. If you want an easy life, run from Jesus. It's an abundant life, but it is not easy. Not for a moment. Jesus taught in Mark chapter eight, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel, ah, will save it. Is that the life you want? Jesus wants to do some radical changes in your life. You sure you want that? You sure you want the side effects that may come with the Jesus pill? I'll say it again, if you want an easy life, don't become a Christian. Oh, it'll be an abundant life, but it won't be easy. Do not equate easy with abundant. It'll be abundant, but it will be challenging. These three, or these wise men, however many there were, f follow this star 
but they find themselves in this awkward position of standing before a maniacally wicked king who in his paranoia <laughs> is willing to give a decree, a mandate that all baby boys two years and under be slaughtered in an attempt to wipe out Jesus. And they discover to their horror, guess what? They're on Herod's hit list now. I'm reading now from verse 12 of chapter 2. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now they've got a price out on their head. So I don't want to beat this to death, but I could go on and on. I mean, just read the Bible. Every person I know who signed up and said, Lord, I want to follow your will. I want to follow you, whether Old Testament or new. It brought some complications, big time. So following Jesus, it is the great adventure, but it will bring some challenges into your life. But there's a third and, and final lesson that I just want to highlight that I believe we can legitimately take from this story about the wise men. And here it is. God's will is ultimately Christ-centered. These mysterious magi from the east were on a journey, and that journey ultimately led them to Jesus. I'm reading now from verse uh, 11. On coming to the house, now notice it's, it's not a stable, a barn. There's no manger seen here. This is a house, so this is sometime later. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Yeah, their, their journey was long, it was difficult, but ultimately it led them to this overwhelming joy as they worshiped Jesus in his presence. So here's kind of the bottom of line of this for me, I, I wish I could tell you more about God's will for you. I really do. I, I wish I could tell you if it's God's will that you take that job in Peoria or whether you move to Alaska for that new opportunity or whether you launch into that cutting edge business. I wish I could tell you if that's God's will for you. I wish I could share with you that, hey, it's God's will for you to explore this new relationship with that person who's come into your life or to start a whole new chapter. But I can't tell you that stuff. Here's what I can tell you with confidence. Here it is. God wants you to find Jesus and worship him. Now, this section didn't get that, so let me just say it again, because this section, they were daydreaming. I can tell you this with confidence. God wants you to find Jesus and worship him. That section was asleep. Let's get to them. They, were, they weren't listening carefully. God wants you to find Jesus and worship him. I can tell you that with confidence. Ultimately, it's true. Ultimately, God's will is gonna be Christ-centered. So as we close, let me just ask you this. You know, God used the supernatural star to guide these guys. And I just can't help but wonder what 
star of guidance God might be using in your life to guide you. I mean, it could be the pain you're going through right now, and God, through that pain, he's kind of using the pain like a megaphone to try to get your attention and to say, hey, I love you, I want to guide you, if only you will open your life to me. <clears throat> Some of you, uh, the guiding star may be that person in your life who's been talking to you about your relationship with the Lord. <clears throat> you know who they are. That sometimes you've had long conversations, sometimes they've just dropped a little word or two here, but you, you get the sense they really care about you. They really do. And they want to be sure that you've got a relationship with God. Here's my question. Could God be using them as sort of a guiding star in your life to point you to Christ? Maybe. I don't know. I, I don't know. But could it be that the difficulty that you've been going through physically in God's providential mind is like a guiding star, and he's saying, I just really want to get your focus that there's something higher than what you've been pursuing. And God's using that as like this guiding star in your life. See, here's the deal. I don't know what broken road God's brought you down. I don't know what broken road you've been on, but I believe God uses all kinds of stars to get us to the place he wants us to be. Could it be that God just knew eons ago that you would be here in this moment, at this time, for such a moment as this, and you would open your life to him? I wanna pray with you right now about that. I'm gonna ask you at all of our locations just to bow your head for a moment. We're not gonna take long. But you see, I'm convinced that God has been guiding. He guided these men so long ago to the Christ child, and I believe he's working in our lives to guide us all kinds of ways. Now, I wonder if you'd pray with me now about that. As eyes are closed and, and, and heads are bowed, I, I wanna see a show of hands if you just, in this sort of confidential moment right now without anybody looking around, I, I wanna ask you, would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me right now because I need guidance. I'm in that crossroads. I see all those hands. Wow. A lot of people. A lot of people. Thank you so much for that. Now, before we pray, is there anybody else? I just want to, and you're just acknowledging to God by, thank you over here, by lifting your hand. Thank you right there. I see that. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. A lot of people are just saying, look, I just want to, I want to acknowledge just by lifting my hand that I yearn for, I'm looking for that guidance right now. Father, you've seen all these who just had the honesty to lift their hand and say, yes, yes, I want to be open to whatever star, whatever thing in my life you would use to guide me to you or to a closer walk with you. Father, there's so many needs represented here. There, there are needs for a personal relationship. Right now, in this moment, would you just draw 
those to you. Would you regenerate them right now, Father, by your grace? Just regenerate them. Bring a new birth, even in this moment, as they wait on you, as they cry out in their heart to you. For those who are seeking insight, and the star's been awfully dim lately, and they're seeking a breakthrough, right now in this moment, would you give some insight, and maybe even more important, some calm confidence that you're still there and that you love them and that you're working on their behalf. Father, would you do that right now? There's a lot of anxiety here about the future. By your grace, Lord, would you just be very close to everyone who's fearful, maybe even paralyzed, phobic, about which way to turn, would you right now, just quietly in this moment, give them a calm sense of assurance, I've got this, you're in my hands. I've been there in the past, I'm gonna be with you all the way. Thank you, Lord, for answering our prayers. Thank you that you're with us every step of the way, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.